Today on Blue 58, becoming a smarter football fan involves talking to smart people, and we've got a good one on today's episode. Settle in, put on your thinking caps, and get ready to learn some great stuff about the state of modern defense. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, coming to you on a Thursday, or this was released on a Thursday. A uh, bit of a non-traditional release here because we're doing something a little bit different uh, on this episode. We've got a great guest for today's show, somebody I was very excited to talk to. But first, some background. The number one request related to Blue 58 is to do more guests, but I kind of resist that for a couple reasons. One real big one. The biggest and most important thing that I have against guests is that I don't want to have people on the show just to have them on. One of the podcast genres I hate most is just two guys talking. You know the ones. It is always guys, and they always pitch the show as just a couple of buds sitting down and talking about whatever's on our mind. That is super boring, and it is a waste of time, and I never want to waste your time. So I don't want to have someone on just to talk and you know see what's on their mind about whatever. I want you to learn something if we're going to have somebody on. I want them to teach you a specific thing about a specific topic. I want you to hear about their perspective on a specific thing, even if it's something just as simple as, why do you do what you do? So we're going to try to have some more guests on kind of from that aspect. Uh, And I think there's, because I think there's a way to do guests that helps both the audience, you, and the show, me. And that's why I want to be more intentional about bringing people on the show. And that brings us to today's guest. He's a fellow by the name of Cody Alexander. Cody is one of the Internet's foremost experts on defense. He has written numerous books about defensive football, including titles like Anchor Points, Breaking Down Your Offensive Opponent, Match Quarters, and others. He is also the man behind the email newsletter known as Match Quarters, which is available on Substack. Uh, you can find a link to all of his writing and uh, and his Substack and his social media in your show notes for this episode. Cody is also currently the assistant head coach and co-defensive coordinator at Life Waxahachie High School in Waxahachie, Texas. And he was gracious enough to take a few minutes of his time at the very start of his football season to talk with me about defense in the NFL in 2021. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. So cue the fancy transition sound effect and let's get this conversation started. Just to start, you've kind of built a one-man kind of cottage publishing industry, teaching fans and coaches and anybody who's going to listen about defense. What first drew you to that side of the ball? You know, it, it's funny that you say that because my my father is a longtime offensive coordinator. He's been on the offensive side forever. Um, and so I grew up on the offensive side. And then just by happenstance where I ended up going to school, Liberty, Missouri in North Kansas city, you know, they, I was put at divas back. And from there, that's kind of where I've, I've kind of grown. I've always been defense. Uh, even when I got, when I went to Baylor, one of the first things that was told to me by the DFO Colin Schilling law was like, Hey, look, I can't get you on the offensive side. That's family, but I can get you on defense. So, I mean, even when, even when I had an opportunity, maybe I could go one way or the other, it was always defense. So it's just kind of something that I've always found an interest in something that I've always kind of gravitated towards um, the nuances, especially deems back play, primarily the corner position. Um, so it's just something that I've always kind of just, it's kind of pulled me that way. 
Well, that was kind of my my follow up question to that. So I played tight end very briefly in college football. So I that's one of the first places that I look. Do you find yourself approaching things as a defensive back when you look at defenses first? Yeah, I usually watch top down. Um, I've started in the past few years just really trying to focus on not necessarily the nuances of defensive defensive line play because, like, I'll be honest with you, if you, if you ever meet me, I'm like 5'10", 165 pounds. I've been, same, I've been the same size since I was like 17. So it's like it's not like I'm going to coach defensive line. But I do think as, as somebody that wants to be an elite defensive coach, somebody that wants to know, you know, as much as I can, you know, at some point you need to know what's going on. I think there's a lot of similarities um, in, in D line play and secondary play. Now, obviously there's a lot, there's a lot more in hand fighting and things like that going on in the front. But yeah, I usually start back to front when it comes to building a defense, watching a defense, how does a defense work? I'm always going to start with secondary, but that's just primarily because I'm a secondary guy. But I also think modern football nowadays anymore is a start back to front than it is front to back like it was just even like 20 years ago. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, the modern defenses in a second, but I, I want to start from a fan perspective. Part of what I do with, with my show and, and writing is try to help people understand the game a little bit better. But there's a big challenge in that everything that we fo- we tend to follow around football is, is kind of offensive-oriented. Uh, the camera angles on TV follow the ball. Uh, fantasy football is all about offensive players. Why should fans make an effort to learn about defense in this game that's increasingly offensive-oriented? Well, I think that the, the understanding both sides of the ball makes you just a better football fan, and it makes you just a better football mind. I mean, for me to be great at offense, I need to know what they're – I mean, to, to be great at defense, I need to know what the offenses are doing. And then most great offensive guys understand what the defense is trying to do. And so it's kind of one of those things that you can't have one without the other. Um, so, I, you know, offense is sexier. That's where the scores are. That's where the highlights are. That's where, the you know, and, and really kind of the big hits have tried to been taken away from the game just because of the, the concussions and all the other things around that. So defense kind of, and with the rules, you know, offenses and, and points, sell tickets it puts fans in the seats we know this so it's it's one of those things that okay once that's what grasps you to football but then let's learn the other side of the game so that you understand why offenses are scoring you know i'm a big thing on i don't want to just know the how i think that's easy you know follow the ball that's how how this big run happened this is how that happened but why did it happen or why are offenses struggling? Why is a quarterback struggling? Why are some defenses better than other? Why are some offenses better than other? Um, to me, the why is just as important as the how. Uh, and and that's where kind of I, I think that if I'm a casual fan, I'm in the game because probably offense is leading me that way. But then I want to understand why is this? Why is this happening? Why is this offense so hard to defend? Why is this player so hard to defend? And why did he have a big game here and, and not a big game here? I think, I think to me, there's more nuance in in the in on defense. It's a reactionary side of the ball, so everything's going to be a split second short. So. I think to me, it's harder. It's like playing something with with one hand behind your back. 
because you're reacting to what's what's in front of you. You know, offenses know where they're going. Defenses have no idea. And so it's that leverage piece that I think is 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 the most interesting. So let's say we break through all of that media coverage, the way the game is structured, things like that, to get through to somebody who decides, yes, I, I want to do that. I want to figure out why the offense succeeds some of the time and, and not other times. I want to figure out why this guy had a great game against this player and not against this player. Say they want to learn about defense and how it works. Where should they start? What, they, what should they be watching on Sundays? The first thing you need to understand is space. It, it, defense is designed to constrain space. Offense is designed to create space. Um, so once you start understanding the football as a spatial game, that, it, that I call it spatial Darwinism. So the teams that understand how to to create space are going to have explosive offenses. Defenses that understand how to constrain space are going to have, you know, defenses that cap everything. Um, and so for me, with my experience working for Art Bryles and just seeing kind of the greatest offense that's ever been, I, to me, still to this day, it's one of the best offenses that's ever been put on the field and, and the way they use space and leverage. Um, I think defensively, if I'm if I'm a fan and I just want to look, where are you putting your anchor points, which is the defensive line, and then where are they putting leverage points and pressure points in the secondary? Because to me, that's the biggest piece that a lot of people miss when they're just following the ball, is that there's leverage in everything on defense. And some teams have good leverage. Other teams don't. Some schemes are designed with leverage in mind. Other schemes are not designed with that. And it's kind of like the haves and the have-nots, like I said, special Darwinism. So it to me, when I'm looking at a defense, my first thing is where are they setting the anchor points in the D-line? And then what are they doing with the back end to maximize those anchor points up front? Because remember, everything nowadays is back to front. Coverage, you know, passing off first down is a big deal. Um, you know, I think we've now come to the point, whether you're an analytics person or not, that passing is much more efficient than running the ball. So passing is not going anywhere. Who are the biggest, biggest names in the NFL? Who are the Mount Rushmore every year when they do, when they do their marketing? It's the quarterbacks. So there's a reason why that is. And so how a defense leverages that is where you can find kind of those inner workings of why a defense works and why a defense doesn't. So you used a, a phrase there that, that really jumped out to me, building a defense back to front. Um, and that phrase has been at the front of my research this offseason, thinking about Vic Fangio defenses. That's something that he's right. always always talked about. The Packers got a new defensive coordinator who worked under Brandon Staley, who kind of comes from that Vic Fangio tree in 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 Joe Barry, and he's got a little Wade Phillips mixed in there. But what would you guess we'll see from a guy who comes from that lineage, you know, Staley, Fangio, and, and so on? They're going to use their edge rushers as levers. And I think with the Packers specifically, they've got good edge rushers. So you're going to you're going to see them leverage that. Then where, where that's going to happen is whether they're in their four down front or their five down front is how then are they using the secondary to um, create kind of that secondary level. The whole point of the Fangio system and the light box and what Staley was doing last year was really just daring people to run. Now, the Packers were the best team that took available that. Now, you can argue, hey, Aaron Donald was was really about, you know, 70% or whatever. But 
what what the Staley system did last year in L.A. was said, hey, we're going to leverage Ramsey and we're going to leverage Aaron Donald. And we're going to think – we think that we can win our one-on-ones up front. And that's kind of where that gap and a half comes from. With, yeah, people are playing a gap, but they're also playing half a gap and being able to react to that. And I thought the Packers did a great job using motion to and and the fact that Aaron Donald wasn't 100 percent to win those one-on-ones up front and then make somebody tackle from leverage so to me when I'm looking at if the, if the Packers defense coordinators coming from the Fangio tree Wade Phillips is notorious for making things simple for players and the teaching of being player friendly then you go mix mix that with the Fangio system which is very forward thinking and back to front where you know, we're leveraging the run off of the secondary and using anchor points up front to funnel things into a constrained space. And I think that's where people need to understand that the way that that whole thing is designed is to create the running back and put him into a phone booth. And, and you know, we talk about on defense as coaches, we want that phone booth tackle where we, it's, it's, my guy is in a gap. That running back can't go anywhere, and we just have to win that tackle. And I think that's where the Fangio system comes with the back end is being intuitive about it, not putting people in situations where, hey, we've got a linebacker carrying a slot, or, hey, you know, go watch the Broncos versus the Chiefs. They're going to leverage Tyreek Hill wherever he is on the field. There's going to be a safety waiting for him in the cross. Um, so, and Bilicek's done the same thing, like with Lamar Jackson, you know, the infamous game a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson looked like a, you know, he was, he looked like an alien out there. And then the Patriots kind of made him look human by putting some that dude that's just as fast as him in secondary and just kind of sinking him down as a spy. So to me, um, that's kind of what the Fangio system does. It tries to make the offense left-handed and uses leveraging tools by who their best players are on defense to create these kind of constrained spaces for the offense. At least in the front, the Packers do have some good edge rushers, but their their best edge, Zedaria Smith, at least last year and, and the year prior, they like to bump him inside a lot, especially on, on later downs and use him as a three technique, uh, rushing you know as a hand-down edge. Would you expect him more on the outside, knowing what Fangio-style defenses have liked to do? It, well, it really depends. I mean, if you go and look at, like, what Staley did, um, what people are talking about with Fangio this year, what he's planning on doing with Chubb now that Vaughn Miller's there, um, that system basically – and this is something that I do personally, like, at, at my level, at the high school level. Look, I'm going to find the weakest offensive lineman, and then I'm going to put my best defensive lineman on them on third down. And a lot of times, where's your worst offensive lineman? It's at guard. So if you have a guy that can kind of hold up, like let's say it's third and, you know, usually in the NFL, third and three plus is passing. It's passing down. But if I put my guy inside and they do want to run, he can hold up. But what I'm doing is I'm putting him on a guard and I'm making that guard block an elite pass rusher, which normally is not what a guard does. A guard usually has help. So manipulating that front to be able to get that guard, we call it the donkey. We're going to, we're trying to find the donkey. Where's the donkey in the, in, in the offensive line. And that's where I'm going to put my best defender on. And I'm going to try and just hammer that nail until it's all the way in. And that way, hopefully we can win some. So that makes sense. You know, Usually what you want to do, if you go look at what Staley did with Donald last year, he moved him all around. Sometimes he was a five, sometimes he was a three, sometimes sometimes he was a nine. And it all depended on what they were trying to do with him and who they were trying to attack on the offensive line. 
the the Packers finally did land on Joe Barry this past spring, but they talked to a lot of different people. Uh, they offered the job to at least two, to, to Barry and to Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. Uh, he ended up staying. But if you were in charge of an NFL team, if you were searching for a coordinator, who would you be targeting? Uh, what what kind of scheme, what kind of coach, or, or a coach specifically? Well, you know, I think Jim Leonard's an interesting uh, interesting story. One, yeah, I mean, he's a fan favorite of, of a lot of Packers fans because he's he's the defense corner at Wisconsin. But he's got a really interesting lineage. You know, he's he's worked for Rex Ryan, who has been a proven commodity in the NFL with the Bear Forty Six, and just kind of his blitz centric way of doing things. Um, but then he's also worked for Wilcox, who's kind of a known three down type front guy. And then obviously with Aranda, working for Aranda and coming from that whole system and kind of learning all of that and putting it into one. Um, I, you know, I'm, I've always been really impressed with Jim Leonard. He's, you know, again, somebody that's very conscientious about, you know, what they're doing in the back end, how that fits in the front. Um, very obviously with having some Wade Phillips and then Fangio background, you know, again, when I look at defense, I'm thinking of guys that are forward thinking that their, their defenses um, are willing to change uh, that they're, they're using their athletes as levers. Um, And to me, guys that understand back to front, you know, it's like, look, we're going to cover the verticals first. And this is something that I learned working under Bryles you got to keep the cap on things because that's where that's where you lose games early is if you just give up a bunch of fatals early because you just don't have the coverage structure in place that because people are going to take shots nowadays it's proven it's more efficient than running the ball passing off first down is something that's going to be increasing and so to me especially with the play action piece so to me it's like where i want to hire guys that that are already built in that model of defending offenses like that, because that's where offenses are going, regardless of if we're going to start seeing more 12 personnel, we're still seeing tight ends as wide receivers, and you're going to have a blocking tight end. This is nothing new. This is the same thing that Gibbs came up with in the 80s. Um, because he needed to be able to get release a tight end, but he needed also to be able to defend an edge rusher like LT. So, this 12 personnel and the 21 personnel kind of hybridization. That's something that you need when I'm looking at a defense. Hey, I need to find somebody that has already built a system that is forward thinking, working back to front, and and will use its players as levers against the offense. You've used that phrase a couple times here, using players as levers. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, here's the, the thing up front. So, for, and, I, and I go back to the Rams because you know the Rams kind of became this this kind of like darling last year because it was like they were so much better on 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 defense than pretty much everybody other than the Buccaneers. Um, I think what you could even look the the Ravens do a good job of this and the Steelers do a good job of this of, of using a five man front to basically create man blocking. And what they're going to do is they're going to move guys around. Like for instance, you've got You've got the Steelers that's got T.J. Watt. They're going to put him on the weakest tackle, and they're going to try and let him just go and make plays. Um, you look at what the Rams did with Aaron Donald and using him on the front, whether they're setting him to the field, they're setting him to the boundary, where they're setting him on third down to kind of inhibit the offense from running in that direction and kind of constraining the space there. You go back to Staley and what they did with Ramsey. 
using it as, as the star, which is the nickel sometimes putting them on the slot, and then sometimes they've got them outside. So using your best players and not necessarily keeping them in the same static spots week to week. You're using them as kind of like, look, I'm going to use Jalen Ramsey and, and, and get rid of one of your receivers, so now you have to play with nine. Because remember, the quarterback, for the most part, isn't going to run the ball. So it's like now I've eliminated another player. Now you're playing with nine and I'm playing with ten. So I've got a plus one advantage, and now I've stolen back that advantage on defense because, remember, defenses don't have the advantage anymore. We have no idea where the ball is going. And then also with some of these offenses, like with the Ravens where they're running the quarterback in the NFL, they've got a plus one advantage. So it's using your using your defensive talent against the weakest parts of the offense and using them to and, – and kind of what Bilicek has really done forever is just like, look, we're going to make you left-handed. Whatever you are and your identity is on offense, we're going to take that away, and then you're going to have to completely create something brand new. NFL defenses seem to go in cycles in response to NFL offenses. One of the things we're doing on the podcast right now is we're reading through Tim Layden's book, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, kind of about you know the competing development of offenses and defenses. And we've seen things come and go, like, you know, zone blitz in the early 90s, Tampa 2, Pete Carroll's cover 3. All of those are around, but they come and go in prominence. Uh, what do you think the next big trend in defense is going to be? Well, I think what the, the Cardinals are doing is fascinating on defense, of just com- basically collecting a bunch of hybrids. Um, now, I don't, you know, they, they kind of popped into the top 10 in defense last year. I, you know, it'll be interesting if the, if Cliff Kingsbury can get the offense going so that it can match the defense. Um, but I think what, the, what you're seeing now more or less is, is the typical cycle that we see. We see offenses get light, so they get speed and they spread out. So you have the advent of like the Tampa 2, where defenses now get super light. Um, they want to, you know, they want a bunch of people that can run and then offenses on the other hand, they say, okay, well, since the defenses are starting to put a bunch of hybrids out there, we're going to get some, we're going to go bigger. We're going to see more 12 personnel, you know, what the Shanahan offense has done with 21 personnel. Now they're kind of an anomaly because of their fullback and their tight end are both. There's a couple of freaks, but going bigger to combat this smaller, size you know nickel now i think a lot of people say oh well nickel's the new base in the nfl well how do you combat that you get bigger and you make these smaller players play in a tighter box um and and again like i wrote in hybrids my book hybrids which was out uh, a couple years ago was that you know a lot time is a fly circle we see the same we see the same cycle all the time it just because we're in a different generation or in a different viewpoint we've moved forward in time that it's just kind of a different um, look and feel to it so now we're seeing kind of like the hybrid 12 personnel which Bilicek which amazingly Bilicek started this I mean what almost like 10 years ago so you know you see him being ahead of the curve and things he went he I mean you know, you go basically going to a Super Bowl running 21 personnel when everybody's going light. So it's kind of that's kind of the thing that I see in the NFL of, OK, well, teams are going to start hybridizing on defense and now offenses are going to start using 12 personnel as kind of that counter to it, which is basically the old 21 personnel that we were used to. You know, the old Steelers running power with the fullback all the time. Um, and so to me, that's kind of that's a, that's the natural ebb and flow of the game. 
Um, but as we go in time, it becomes more and more of a spatial game. It becomes more and more of a space game. And so it, it's just, it looks different because we now have air raid principles and things like that in the game that we didn't, you know, just 10, 20 years ago. One of my favorite NFL analytics debates is rush or cover. Where do you come down? You know, I, I, I you know, as a secondary guy, I understand the value of a rush. Um, it's really, really hard to cover for a long time. And the longer that quarterback can hold the ball, I think the, the, the harder it is to cover. Uh, so to me, you go and you look at teams that like kind of shock people and, they, and, and were really good. Like, for instance, the Washington football team last year, their offense was atrocious. Yes, they went, they, they went seven and nine and made the playoffs. But you go look at that defense. The defense was a top five defense. And why was it a top five defense? It was a top five defense because of the front. You know, you go look at things like um, when, like, I, I grew up in Kansas City. So, you know, uh, O'Neal and, and, and Derek Thomas, you know, the, the bookends, you know, dominating the four aces in the Giants. It shocked everybody when they won their Super Bowl. So I think, I think it's a fine line. It's kind of like that argument of the chicken and the egg. You can have a really elite secondary, but if you don't have the rush aspect of it, it, it kind of negates the eliteness of it because you're covering for so much longer. So if you have an elite rush, that's going to help you in the back end, which is kind of ironic because things are now back to front, but you have to have elite edge rushers anymore. And, and if you compare that with a decent to really good secondary, now you've got something special. Where can people find your work? And do you have any big upcoming projects we ought to know about? Yeah, um, you can find me on matchquarters.com. I have a Substack, so if you if you are into the Substack stuff, it's matchquarters.substack.com. In fact, I've got an article coming out on Monday uh, and Wednesday. It's a two-parter on the Fangio system and why it's so special and how it kind of operates and the different nuances in it um, and kind of even compare it to kind of the Saban system, which is probably its um, college counterpart. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com backslash um, match quarters. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore a. A big thanks to Cody for spending a few minutes to, with me. Again, you can check out all of his works uh, on Substack, substack.com slash match quarters, or by searching Cody Alexander uh, at amazon.com to find all of his books. You can also find him uh, on social media as well at the coach a links to all of these things are in your show notes. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed our conversation here, please share this episode, reach out to Cody, tell him he did a great job because he did. And, uh, we'll continue to try to search for guests that I think would, uh, benefit your football learning and watching experience, because that is one of the ways that we are going to help all of us, me included, maybe me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.